Dear founder, as you know, there's no blueprint for entrepreneurship. You wear so many hats, you burn the midnight oil, you pour your heart and soul into everything that you do. But without a doubt, the journey is worth every single second that you put into it. I'm Lindsay Pinchuk, host of the Dear Founder podcast. I say this because I've lived it for over a decade. I started my first company with $500 in my pocket and a baby in my belly. I grew it and I sold it all. This podcast is my weekly letter to you. We'll talk all things starting, growing, nurturing, and in some cases, even selling a business. Together with some of my closest contacts, I'm here to help you find your own success, whatever that means to you. The ride as a founder is the ride of your life. So come on in and join me for another episode that will get you one step closer to reaching your own founder goals. Welcome back to another episode of Dear Founder. If you like what you're hearing on the podcast, please make sure that you take out your phone, scroll down and leave a five-star rating or review so that others can find us. We want as many people as possible to benefit from the incredible stories here, and this helps them to do so. Before we start today's episode, I also want to take a second to thank you. In just a few short months, we've dropped over 50 episodes. We've been downloaded thousands and thousands of times, and this podcast has really reached some incredible milestones. The most important and the most exciting has been helping so many of you. From founding, growing, and selling my company and now helping others to do the same, so many of you trust me right here, but also through my classes and my one-on-one programs as well as on my social media. Your belief in me is so appreciated and now I can help you to grow your own personal brand or your company's community through content, social media, partnerships, email collaborations, and more. Just click the link in the show notes and fill out the form. You can grab 30 minutes with me for a consult. I'd love the chance to meet you and to get to know your business. So today's episode is really exciting, especially for me, because as you'll hear me tell the story in a few minutes, I picked up the brand Odell at Target. It's a shampoo and conditioner and hair product company. I picked it up before the pandemic and I brought it home and my kids started using it and we loved it. I started using it as well. Everyone was so happy. The the shampoo and conditioner were exactly what I was looking for. It was phthalate-free, sulfate-free, and it didn't break the bank. Now, after doing a little digging on the brand, I found out that I knew the founder. And um, the founder's sister, so Lindsay Holden is here today. She is one of the co-founders. And her sister was someone that I worked with for many years at Bump Club. She was a producer of mine on a local TV show that I did. And um, then I worked with her when she worked for a brand in the baby and kids space. So I was so excited to find out that Lindsay was one of the brilliant minds behind this incredible brand that now my family uses. And so here we are today. She's going to be coming on. Lindsay is also a fellow Michigan Wolverine, which makes it incredibly exciting for me as well. But Lindsay Holden is a connector of people, community builder, a value maximizer, a risk taker. She's a sales driver. She's a retail professional and a sales savant with over 15 years of experience prior to co-founding Odell three years ago. She's led multiple cross-functional teams to develop merchandising strategy, product development, promotional strategy, and forecast through the complexities of diverse businesses. And she's run P&Ls across both brick and mortar and online businesses. She is Minnesota born and bred, although she did live elsewhere from time to time. Lindsay and her husband, Blake, and their three kids call Minneapolis home. And I'd like for you to come on in and meet Lindsay Holden. She's an incredible founder with an incredible story. 
All right. So today on Dear Founder, we have a story that I'm so excited to not only share, share, but hear as well, because I picked up a bottle of shampoo and conditioner probably right before the pandemic at Target. I thought that the packaging looked awesome. The promise on the bottle was exactly aligned with what I wanted, which was, you know, no additives, no phthalates, no sulfates, et cetera. And I was looking for a shampoo and conditioner for both my kids who have pretty unique hair. So I picked up the bottles of shampoo and conditioner from Odell and I brought it home and we used it and we loved it. And then I later found out that I knew the founder. And so Lindsay Holden, who is the co-founder of Odell, is here today. And I'm so excited to share her story because we are consumers of your product, Lindsay. So thank you for being here. (laughs) Hooray. (laughs) Thank you for having me. And it makes it so much easier to buy your product because I know you and I know where it's going and I love supporting you and obviously female founders. So, um, and it's an amazing product. I want to say that. So thank you. Well, we made it, we made it to share. So I'm glad to hear that your kids are loving it too. Good. So I'd love for you, and I haven't really heard the whole story from you. So I would love for you to start us off by really just kind of taking us back and telling us how this company got started. Sure. Um, I I started the company with two co-founders. Um, we're all moms. We all have backgrounds in corporate, you know, corporate career backgrounds where we worked with CPG and retail manufacturing. And um, I think, you know, I can speak for myself. I've always been kind of that problem solver, pretty enterprising, even within my larger um like the larger corporations I worked for, I was always kind of looking like, Hey, let's do this or let's try this. And I never, I never, um, I went to the large company for the experience, but I never saw it as like, this is like the end all be all for, for me. I want to do something on my own terms eventually. Um, and that eventually came when I had three kids and I think the youngest was turning one and the oldest was about to start kindergarten and I was working 50 plus hours a week. And I'm like, Oh my God, I just need to, I need to pay attention. I need to be more present for like the things that matter. And I realized that I was at this point in my career where I was giving to the company more than I was receiving back. And it was coming at the cost of time with my time with my kids. And so I um, was fortunate to be in a position. I left with no plan whatsoever, but I knew that I couldn't figure out what was next while I had three kids at home and I was giving, you know, my role at um, my role at the larger corporation what it needed. And so I left with no plan. Um, it wasn't long into that time that I started plotting. Um, and I started plotting with a friend of mine who is from grad graduate school. Um, I met at the University of Minnesota, uh, Britta, who's one of my co-founders. And we she had been consulting for another uh, beauty brand that was local to Minneapolis. And we kind of took a look at our showers and we're like, wait a minute, you know, why do I have shampoo for myself that's $40, you know, the whatever kind that my husband's using, the clean, the safe kind for my kids? it's excessive. You know, the shower is this small space and that it's too much. And inevitably, like 
you turn around and your kids like using your $40 shampoo to make bubbles and you're like, no. And we just felt like that was such a relatable moment. You have kids, you don't have kids, like you have a roommate. It's like people or partners are trained not to use like your good stuff. And we then, you know, took a look at the shelves um, at at mass retail and, and didn't understand why they there couldn't be that you know, high quality, clean, premium performance formula that doesn't break the bank. Um, I'm a firm believer that crazy good doesn't have to be crazy expensive. And so we're like, had this aha moment of like, there is a white space, like despite there being so much out there in the marketplace, it's like, really, do we need another shampoo brand? We couldn't find one that met all of those priorities. And so Enter my third partner, Shannon, um, who had the operations background um, to really give us the confidence that like, okay, not only do we have the idea, we now have like the strength to execute on it. Um, we took a chance and and here we are. So it's funny that you say that because I could not agree with you more about the white space. Yeah. And I very vividly remember when I first bought your product I, you know, I, I didn't want to, to spend $40 on shampoo for my kids. And actually funny, you should say that because my daughter actually did use my $40 shampoo to create a bubble bath and I nearly died. Um, but I very vividly remember seeing your product on the shelf and picking it up and saying, huh, like what, what is this? Like, I've never seen this before. And it was exactly what I was looking for because it was not a break the bank price, but it wasn't like the crap that's filled with all the bad stuff that you don't want to put on your bodies. But the other thing is, I find that a lot of the shampoo in the quote, like organic and natural space is not as effective. It doesn't work. No, I couldn't agree more. And so when, and so that's what I want to say. I want to be very clear here as to why we love your product so much in my house. And we've used it all. I I mean, I have two girls, you know, we've used it all. And if I go to Target and like your stuff isn't there for whatever reason, you know, if it's sold out or if I I get like upset because then I'm like, huh, like what am I going to buy? You know what I mean? And you very much filled a void that was so needed. So needed. I mean, it's what you said is exactly why I bought your product. Amazing. I love, I love that you found it, you know, and it's, um, I always ask, you know, how people discover us because we don't have these, you know, we're competing with the big guys, but we don't have these multi-million dollar marketing budgets. We built this very conservatively and, you know, so much discovery happens at shelf when you're walking down the aisle and like is reinforced by what we so painstakingly, you know, planned for the bottle, um, so I'm really, I'm really glad to hear that came across for you. Okay. So, okay. So what I want to talk about right now is, so you had this idea, obviously I would love for you first, before we kind of get into how you brought the idea to market, I would like for you to share with us, like, where is Odell now? Like how many products do you have? Where are you sold? What does your team look like? Like what, because that's a, that's a, I think a really big indicator of how far you've come in such a short time. Yeah. Um, we are currently sold at Target and on our own website, odellbeauty.com. Um, we've been exclusive at Target um, since launch, uh, which is beginning of 2020. 
And, you know, while we want to behave like this direct to consumer brand, we really needed the volume that a retail partner brick and mortar could bring in order to keep that price point low. And so um, you just need, you need quantity, right? And so um, we are in, we're chainwide at Target in about 1900 doors. Um, every year we've grown in terms of our SKU count. Um, so it's work, you know, it's working. And we've got about 19 or sorry, 15 SKUs right now. Um, we've got, you know, we, we were really intentional about making, making it easy to understand like which product is for you. There's a lot of panic at the shelf we found, which is like, you know, I can speak from my own example. I used to use Kerastat before founding Odell. And um, I don't know why I was using the orange and white bottle. <laughs> Probably uh, because like your hairdresser. Used my it. hairdresser told me and I'm like, okay, but I couldn't even understand like the benefits of why I liked how it felt, you know, that was fine. I realized later, you know, it wasn't clean, but um, it did its job, but I couldn't tell you why. And so a lot of people when shopping for hair care have that like paralyzing moment when they're standing at the shelf being like, oh, is this for me? Is that not for me? And so we were really intentional, really research backed about, you know, leading with benefits, right? Like what are the different benefits people seek by different hair types? And then making sure like there was, there wasn't like this redundancy between, between offerings. And so we've got volumizing, smoothing, curl defining, moisture repair, and then ultra sensitive um, regimens, which, you know, shampoo and conditioner duos. And then we've got a handful of treatments and stylers, which are really universal. And I mean, I have so many favorites in the bunch, um, but kind of no nonsense, straightforward, really easy, promotes hair health um, type of products. Today's episode is brought to you by Hivecast, an amazing agency providing high-quality podcast production made simple and affordable. I hit the jackpot when I came across Hivecast as I pieced together services from contractors all over the web initially to help me with my podcast. Hivecast was everything that I needed all in one place. For just $500 per month, they not only produce and edit four episodes, but they also create the marketing assets. Emma, my account manager, is amazing, making sure that I'm on task and that we can schedule episodes regularly and by my deadlines. Honestly, the time saved working with Hivecast is worth at least triple what I'm paying. Their sister company, Fireside, offers other marketing services for small businesses, including social media management, Facebook and Instagram ads, search engine marketing, and so much more. Again, all at a rate palatable by a small business owner. The best part, there's no contract. You can purchase their services as needed on a monthly basis. Use the code FOUNDHER and save 50% off your first month of services. Give them a try. The decision to outsource this part of my business has surely saved me a ton in the long run, and it was the best decision I've made for my business. Well, it's funny because that, and that is also probably, and I can't, I don't remember, it was a few years ago, but that was probably why I picked it up also was that it is very easy. And I shared with you how like one of my daughters uses the smooth and the other, and the other daughter uses the moisturizing. We've also used the curl too. Yeah. We've used it all, but, um, but it, it, they use different formulas because their hair is different. And so, and that's okay. You know? So, yeah. okay. So how, how did you know, like you guys had this idea and it's it's very different than like 
an idea, like, you know, a lot of people have an idea and they don't necessarily have to make product, right? You have a product that you have to make. So how did you know how to formulate the product? How did you know where to get it manufactured? I mean, these are these logistics that I think ultimately paralyze a lot of founders because they don't know these things. I know you have a lot of, you have a background in this and I'm assuming your co-founders do too, knowing the history, but I'd like for you to kind of walk us through that process for people who don't know. Sure. Um, Yeah. I mean, it can be different for whatever kind of, you know, product you're going after. I think for us, it was, um, we're really lucky. Minneapolis is actually this like little beauty hub, you know, we're in our backyard, you know, Aveda was founded here, Caldrea, um, DP Hugh is here. There's a lot, Mrs. Myers, there's a lot of um, beauty manufacturing right here. And I, you know, I told you, I was like, Britta and I had been plotting for years. You know, this is like, we started this maybe 10 plus years after we met in graduate school and realized we were compatible. We (laughs) went through a phase where we were going to try to make baby bouncers that didn't, weren't ugly for your living room. And then there was a point where we're like, wait, what about puzzles? You know? And so we were, those all had very different implications for manufacturing than the shampoo did. Um, but realizing that there was a little hub for beauty here, we had different manufacturers to talk to and their contract manufacturers. And we went out before we had, you know, with just our idea and we started talking to them to say, Hey, this is what we'd like to create. Here's the brand. Here's the products. And like I said, you know, all research facts, understanding like, that must it must be EU um, compliant. You know, this is how we define clean. There's no like clear way about it in the US that this is how we're defining it. It needs to achieve these benefits. It needs to have this kind of foam. And so those are the experts with the chemist on staff and the manufacturing capability that we almost kind of reverse sold into. And we found one that was excited to partner that was able to scale um, with us as a lot of them are so big that they're just not interested in talking to an unknown, or it'd be, like I said earlier, really expensive to make a very small quantity. So we found one that was actually um, at a similar stage as we are just starting out. And so um, they took a chance on us. We took a chance on them. We worked really closely with the chemist and like, you know, Shannon, my partner already had relationships with you know, everything from bottle manufacturers to label makers to the corrugate, you know, so we had that um, in our toolkit already, which was great. If someone doesn't have that in their toolkit, where, where do you recommend them kind of starting? Sure. I mean, I think talking to other people, like other co-founders who are in a similar stage or maybe a few years ahead of you with a, with a concept that could be relatable. You know, I, I think it's just talking and networking and understanding, like being super curious about, Hey, what do I have to learn or how do I test this? Or what kinds of tests do we need to put our product through, um, in order to make sure it's safe and effective? Um, we, you know, once we had the formulas, we would send them out to all of our friends and family, like get the feedback, you know, based on their hair types and textures, do another round of development. I think we went back and forth for like 70, 80 rounds. And so even if um, you don't have those contacts, um, 
like or naturally there I feel like there's so many people willing to make introductions on your behalf um if you ask and so that's And that is such good advice because all you have to do is ask. You just have to ask. And you sometimes don't even know what you need to ask about. And so just by having the conversations like, yes, I want to create this. Who should I talk to? Like talking to that person or that group may then say, okay, now I need to understand and talk to this group. Um, So I think there's there's a lot of, and I think too being both having been both on the giving and receiving side, having that specific ask and asking for it is really what people want. I mean, there's nothing worse than when people are like, Oh, well, can I like pick your brain? But like about what, do you know what I mean? Like, but when someone says to me, Oh, I like, I'm really, I'm looking for a graphic designer or like, do you know X, Y, and Z? I know exactly who to point them to. I also asked someone the other day, I said, very, specifically, do you know people that are hosting conferences where I could speak about social media? And yeah. she connected me to three associations. So like, yeah, yeah. You just have to ask to your yeah. point, right? Like, and, and it's, it's okay if like you overlap a little bit, like there's enough business to go around. hundred percent. hundred percent. So let's talk a little bit about the power of your network because we, I mean, you, the, you have experience working at the big, large retailer, in Minneapolis. And so obviously you've let you leveraged your network when you created this product. How did that work? Because, um, you know, there, and there are other founders who have been on my show who have very similar background to you who worked at target and who leveraged their relationship with target when they founded their own companies and also found great success in, in their retailer. So how did that work? Because that, I mean, that, you don't have to be an employee of Target to then go and do that. I mean, you can leverage your experiences, your experiences anywhere. Sure. And it just so happens that's where you worked. Yep, for sure. I would say the most, um, I mean, the most beneficial thing in my experience in launching a brand was the experience that I gained at Target. And so I never worked in beauty while I was there. I was always in the home category And whether it was bath or patio, you know, I got, and what I loved about working there is you're so close to the consumer, right? You really own this business within the business and you are there curating what that experience is like for the guest and everything from here's my strategy for, you know, here's what I understand was working, not working. Here's where I want to grow into build this white space. And then you go develop it or you go source it and you find it. And so I'd say that experience was extremely valuable, right? You're kind of trained to look at a category regardless of what it is and say, how do I optimize this? How do I grow it? Um, You're running the financials, you're helping, you're kind of like this hub of a wheel of an entire team of these like incredibly talented people to like make it come to life. And um, when I left Target, I had not been, um, you know, I haven't like, there's kind of like a non-compete. I did not go and talk, pitch, pitch this idea back to them. My partner did, because I hadn't been out for more than a few years, um, which I needed to be. But I'd say it was really the experience there and being so close to the consumer and under, you know, putting that consumer first. And understanding how it works. And understanding then how to execute it and what makes it successful. Because it's one thing to get it on the shelf. It's another thing to make sure it's successful when it gets there and make sure you can continue to support it. I mean, first and foremost, by just keeping product there. Um, so 
I think it was that experience that was very helpful. Um, my partner was the one who pitched it back, um, pitched the idea and the brand back. And then I think it's the continued network of like the people who um, were once there and now going out into the world to create their own things or support brands selling back into Target. Um, that's been very valuable because um, it's just, you know, yeah, it's a great network to have. So you just said something that, you know, it's not, it's not just about getting on the shelf, but it's making it successful once it is on the shelf. So what are some of the things that you've done to make that happen? Yeah, that's, um, you know, it's interesting and it's hard when you're a smaller brand and you don't have those huge budgets to, you know, take out a national advertising campaign or create a commercial or put out billboards, you know, all over New York City. Um, <laughs> we are, I think it's important how you show up on shelf. Um, and it's important to understand what's happening. Like once your product is there for us, what was really helpful is the brand block. I think that our packaging naturally created. And I think that lent itself to like some great discovery. So, you know, whether we're in two feet of space or four feet of space, it's like disruptive when you're walking down the aisle and we took, you know, we're like design junkies, you know, my, my, all everyone I follow online is like, you know, an interior decorator, travel architecture, you know, I just, we just love it. And so part of the equation for us was um, making sure it looked good in your house. You know, everyone takes such care as to what they bring in and all the, you know, curating your own space and bringing things in that make you feel good. Like we wanted a bottle that did its job in terms of communicating what was best, um, like the benefits or why to buy, but also um, was beautiful. And so I think that's really helped with our discovery at Shelf. I think to um, making sure you're in stock, you know, which has been a huge challenge over the last few years with all of, I mean, nobody, we launched right before a pandemic. We kind of got word that something was up when we needed more tubes and heard in China that things were taking longer and we're like, why? And, you know, started doubling down, um, to protect ourselves and then protect being in stock. Cause if your bottle is not there, like nobody's going to, nobody can buy it. Right. Um, but other than that, you know, I think it's a lot of experimenting around promoting driving trial. You know, we've always said like the proof is in the goop. Um, so we are very curious when it comes to promotions and different levers to pull that the target may have the ability to drive, or we have the ability to drive, I'm a huge fan of PR. Um, earned media, I think, is incredible. It feels authentic and yep. it um, it lives out there. And so we've really um, invested in that since the beginning, and I think that's paid off as well. Well, and once like once you land editorial placement in places like Glamour or Lure, like the the bigger publications and and yep. whatnot you are as seen in those publications. Yes. And it, that's not something you paid for. Nope, never. And it feels like, and we've always like from the beginning, we've always said, you know, like what other people say about us is almost more important than what we say about ourselves, right? It just, it's like that stamp of approval. It's that endorsement, you know, same with reviews. You know, I think reviews are very important and people look for validation when they, are in aisle at the shelf. They may pull out their phone and be like, huh, is this good? You know, by looking at target.com or going yep. to our website. So 
I think those, I normally don't care much about what other people say. I really care about that. No, but for a beauty brand, it's very important because you, you have to know that it works. And if it's being endorsed by certain media and if it's, the reviews are there. I mean, and I look at reviews all the time when it comes to beauty products. It's probably one of the only places that I really do. Like when I don't really look for reviews on clothing, you know, I mean, clothing's clothing. It's not, I mean, I'm not buying like performance clothing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, but with beauty products, you want to make sure that it works. Yeah, for sure. Okay. So big question is, I mean, you have this product, you're putting it on shelves at Target. How are you funding that? Um, we did a friends and family round in the very beginning to help fund the initial inventory buy. Um, since then we've, you know, it's been paying for itself. And so, um, we have been able, um, we haven't done, we haven't done any other fundraising. We have taken out, um, some loans, you know, from the bank. Um, and I think it's just kind of this constant reevaluation, um, but right now, just friends and family. Is there are there plans to fundraise, or you're not quite sure yet? We talk about it all the time. You know, like you start to feel yeah. a little pressure to do so. But we're like, part of us is also like, what would we do with all that money? <laughs> like, we don't need it. You know, we were profitable out of the gates. Amazing. Um, we built this kind. We built this kind of the old school way, and so um, I think we are. You know, we are everything's changing in terms, in terms of our plans, you know, as we talk about expanded distribution, we then revisit that conversation. Or as we talk about like different marketing efforts or hiring, you know, we, we revisit that conversation, but, um, it hasn't felt, we haven't felt the need to do it yet. So let's talk a little bit about the expanded distribution. Are you, are you exclusive at target forever or is there an expiration on that? Or are you not allowed to say? Yeah, not, you know, I don't, I can't say right now, you know, we don't, we don't know. And so I think um, the conversations and like the cost benefit analysis of like do expanding elsewhere, staying put is always um, a discussion. And so it usually comes up around now (laughs) because summertime is when a lot of retailers are in line reviews and they're considering, you know, what they're, they're forming their strategies and priorities for the following year. Um, and so we are having those talks, but nothing is. Are um, other retailers pursuing you? Yes. Yes, they are. And I, I wanted to ask that yeah. because that is also a testament to your product. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. You know, I mean. Sure. It's, it's really, yeah, it's really incredible to be noticed, you know, in that way. So. So, okay. And then you also talked a little bit about, you mentioned hiring. And I know you you mentioned to me before we started that you have two full-time hires, um, but that you have a lot of um, contractors. So I'd love to understand a little bit more in depth who the people are that are supporting you and how they're supporting you. And, and then also like what would be next in terms of hiring? Sure. Um, we... I mean, I, I like lose track of what year it is because we're like, okay, what year are we in? What year am I planning for? <laughs> you know, like there's all, you're always kind of like a year ahead. Um, we did not hire anyone for the first one and a half, two years. It was really just the three of us um, co-founders, but then we would bring on um, 
help through contractors. And there are so many amazing contractors out there. You know, people, it feels kind of just like us who had their time in big companies, agencies, and then decided to kind of go it alone, but they just have the relationships. They have the expertise. They have like the confidence and you, we have the trust, right. That they're going to do an awesome job on our behalf. And so from the get go is, was really contractors. And I think still is, um, we're still, yeah, we still have a ton. And so we then hired a few people, um, to help with the kind of work that we were doing, you know, we're doing everything. And so whether that's part-time help on the operations end, some accounting help for bookkeeping or, you know, pestering vendors, like, are these here yet? Where are they? Get them off the truck. Um, or um, some marketing help or just help us figure out, okay, how do we update this on the website or where do we go? Or can you help nurture some of these relationships on social? And let's figure, try to figure out the, what the right recipe is for us and our brand, like as it relates to partnerships or as it relates to Instagram or what do we do on TikTok, you know? And so, yeah, our plan, I think, I think that's working for us right now. You know, we also, um, like I said, are three moms. And so very much, like we don't want this big company where you're there from eight to five every day. And so it's a very much a fluid um, working environment where we give each other a lot of grace. Um, I mean, you look at these last few years with homeschooling. Oh my God. Always sick. You know, like I just got a puppy. I don't, you know, <laughs> it was just like there's somebody's got travel or somebody's dealing with this, you know, like it's just the natural, like, the way it needs to be. And so I think we're kind of hesitant to make it this formalized structure when this is really working for us. Well, But you just said it, it's the way it needs to be. And really and truly like the way it needs to be has changed so much. And if the pandemic showed us anything, it's that, and it can be this way and still be profitable and successful, which you are. So it doesn't need to be an eight to five grind. You know, it it doesn't need to be that. And you've proven that. Yeah. 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 It is a big, yeah, it's a big lesson. I mean, granted, we did have another child with like this company, but it's a good reminder too, like, and that it's okay not to figure it all out at the same time. And so totally kind of ebb and flow and we're just kind to each other. What are the two roles you did hire for permanently? Um, one in social partnerships. Um, and she helps steer a lot of the work with um we haven't spent a lot on it to be honest, but like helping navigate, um, like paid social, if we're kind of testing there to see if a recipe works, um, helping navigate the partnerships and giveaways and just responsiveness overall, um, with our community. Cause I think that community is really powerful and amazing. Um, and then I'd say kind of marketing, more marketing operations help. Um, so a lot of work around like, Hey, can you help us figure out a quiz or how would we set up, um, you know, best practices we're developing a new product and there's so many steps to take it through kind of helping shepherd it along the way with all the invested parties. So, you know, honestly, there's no, (laughs) I, I, 
I like don't even know what their official titles are, but just help and um, grateful. But they're helping the in the marketing arena, and I think that that's yeah. important to mention also because you don't always see the ROI on those roles come back immediately. However, yeah. they are both so important, both the marketing big picture and the social yeah. media. And mm-hmm. you know, I have worked with brands that are sold at Target and they've been around a lot longer than you and they don't have a social media person and, you know, they'll have like someone do it as an adjacency of their job. Yeah. And I will tell you, I went in to one company and I took it over for a period of time. Mm -hmm. And in a week, one week, we saw a giant increase because they just didn't have anyone doing it the way it needed to be done. So to invest in that is so important for a brand now in today's landscape, right? I agree. I agree. Yeah. So you talked a little bit at the beginning about leaving with no plan. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, it's very funny and ironic because the three people who have left with no plan were my three founders who left the same place that you left and started <laughs> businesses, which sure. is very funny. Yeah. Um, but yeah. I'd like for you to touch upon that a little bit because it really goes one of two ways. Either you are side hustling until and grinding until you literally cannot do both jobs anymore, yep. or you do what you did and you leave, take a minute to find that clarity yep. and figure out what to do next. So I'd like to to kind of explore that and how that worked for you. Mm-hmm. And how you feel about the path that you took? Yeah, um, I feel well. You know, one, my husband has his own company too, and so it was this time of okay, I'm in a position where we can, you know, make life changes if we don't, you know, without the dual income. And it, it, I mean, the cost of like a working parent is basically made up of like the childcare you need to. Yeah. Pay. Right. So it didn't feel like a huge hit, but at the same time, um, it was, I was, I was lucky to be able to do it without having to like do the side hustle. Totally. You know, if you, my co-founders might've been differently if- yeah, for, for my co-founders, it was different. You know, they had, they were working their consulting gigs while launching this. And we always say like, we, we built this over nap time. Like we didn't have like the coverage or the time we literally like would grab an hour here, grab an hour there. The second, like the kids went down, you know, down for a nap, I'm like on the computer and brainstorming and really like selling this to ourselves to make sure that we believed in it before putting it out there in the world. Um, But I think it was like when we came up with the idea and we had that, like, oh my God, like we, this, this is it. Um, I also felt like we had nothing to lose. You know, it was, you know, I hear I was happy and it was my choice to be home with the kids more present. Like that is a full time, hardest job I've ever had. Right. Most rewarding, but also like ridiculously hard. And so I, I needed that outlet that felt like it was for myself too. And not just like for, for the kids and ultimately like doing this for myself is for the kids too. But, um, it, it didn't feel like that big of a risk to just see what happened and hope it worked. And if it didn't work, you know, I think 
it would have led to something else that only it could have led to because I had tried it. And so I think we were in this, at least I was in this like peaceful place of like, yeah, let's do it. You know, let's do it and see what happens. And just putting one foot in front of the other. And, you know, to our earlier point about conversations and connections, like it just would lead to something um, that wasn't what I was doing at the moment. So I was all, all in. So take yourself back to when you first started and you were trying to figure this out and think about kind of how you felt in that moment. And I would love for you to share three actionable tips with yourself or other founders who are getting started that they can do now if they're starting a business. Okay. Um, I would say definitely be curious. Um, I don't think... I think, I think that's, I mean, I think that's hugely important. You, nobody like, it's okay to not have all the answers, right. But you have to then be curious to ask the questions that may lead to lead to an answer to help you progress. Um, so I'd say, be curious, be kind to yourself. Um, you're going to make mistakes. (laughs) Hopefully they're not gonna be the ones that are completely derailing, but they might feel huge at the time. Um, but you'll get through them and you'll learn from them and you'll be better for having, having learned from them. Um, and I'd say ask, you know, just, it seems so overwhelming when you think about it in total, but just taking it in these little bite-sized chunks. Um, so it doesn't feel that way. Like it could, it would be paralyzing to like, I look back, I'm like, how did we do this? But it was really just kind of day by day, piece by piece. Okay, what do we need to tackle next? Now we need to tackle this. Like it, and then you realize like how much you've accomplished. So when it feels like too much, try to break it down into like, all right, like what can I, controlling the controllables um, and not worrying about the rest until you get there. Such good advice. Lindsay Holden, co-founder of Odell. Thank you for being here. Thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for creating a product that really works, that my family loves. And I so appreciate it. (laughs) We love it. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm so excited to share this with our listeners. So thank you. Thank you. So much fun. How awesome is Lindsay's story? Get out your pen and paper because you're going to want to write her takeaways down. Are you ready? Number one, working for a retailer sets the stage for future activations as you're the hub of a wheel managing a business within a business. Number two, it's important how you show up on shelf at retail when you have a product and that you understand what's happening when your product is there. Number three, you want your product and the shelf space to be disruptive on the store shelf at retail. Number four, when you have a product, you want to make sure you're in stock. This is currently a challenge, especially with the supply chain demands that we're seeing all across the globe. But if your product isn't there, nobody can buy it. Lindsay and her co-founders made sure to take care of that, and they really planned ahead when they heard that there were troubles coming before the pandemic. Number five, as Lindsay said, the proof is in the goop. Drive trial, try pulling different levers and different promotions in order to get your product sold and in the households of people across the country. Number six, earned media is authentic and it lives in the world. It's been a great investment for a beauty product like Odell. 
Number seven, utilize contractors and part-time help. You don't need to go out and hire a whole team of full-time employees. Number eight, you don't need to have all the answers, but you have to be curious to ask the questions that can lead to an answer. Number nine, be kind to yourself. You are going to make mistakes. They may feel huge, but you will learn from them and get through them. Number 10, the totality seems overwhelming, but taking it in bite-sized chunks is much easier. Starting a business can be paralyzing, but you have to take it step by step. When it feels like too much, try to break it all down. Thank you, Lindsay Holden, so much for joining and sharing your story of Odell. And I cannot thank you enough for being here to listen to today's story and today's episode of Dear Found Her. If you like what you're hearing, please make sure you take out your phone and click that five-star rating or review so that others can find us. We have some incredible guests coming up. You are not going to want to miss them. So please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify or wherever it is that you listen so that you never miss an episode. If you know someone who wants to start their own business like Lindsay or who has started a business or who has an amazing idea for a business, please text them this episode or post it in your Instagram. Make sure to tag me. I'll reshare some of those to say thank you. Please stay tuned for another episode of Dear Founder coming your way every Tuesday and Thursday.